0: Good morning, beloved family. Good to
1: be with you. A blessed feast of the Transfiguration today. The uh, Let's see now the fourth um, mystery of the luminous mysteries of the Rosary. How's that? The Transfiguration. We have first the baptism of our Lord in the Jordan, then the wedding feast of Cana, and then the proclamation of the Gospel of the Kingdom in the transfiguration and the institution of the blessed sacrament, the Eucharist, it was such a treasure we have in the church. Such a treasure we have in the church, and today, in both the um, both calendars, the new and the old, is the feast of. Um, uh, Think I have to think the feast of the. Tra- I was going to say Saint Augustine because I'd like to read you something by Saint Augustine on the Transfiguration, the feast of the Transfiguration, uh, just that when our Lord gave us a foretaste of glory divine, His glorified body, really, really, really beautiful. And so uh, Saint Augustine of Hippo, uh, Doctor of the Church, he lived in the fourth century, uh, fourth and fifth centuries three fifty four to four thirty he he wrote this about the Transfiguration. anything St. Augustine has written is so wonderful. He was pretty much in my Protestant years one of our favorite Protestant we thought <laughs> one of our favorite saints. If we only believed what he wrote about the Holy Eucharist, we might have been Catholic um, But he wrote this. He said, The Lord Jesus himself shone bright as the sun. His garment became white as the snow. And Moses and Elijah talked with him. Jesus himself indeed shone as the sun, signifying that he is the true light that enlightens every man come into the world. I'm looking at a beautiful picture of um. um, Moses uh, and Elijah on either side of our transfigured Lord on the Mount of Tabor and the three disciples astonished looking up at them. And Saint Augustine wrote, what the Son is to the eyes of the flesh, so he is to the eyes of the heart. And what that is to the flesh of men, that he is to their hearts. Peter Sees this, and as a man savoring the things of men, he says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. He had been wearied with the multitude. He had now found the mountain's solitude. There he had Christ, the bread of the soul. What? Should he depart once again to labor and suffering now that he had a holy love for God and a holy way of life? Oh, beloved, that's our question too, isn't it? Now that we've tasted the the wonder, the blessing, the holiness, the grace, the goodness of our Lord, should we depart and go back to our mundane lives? He wished... <clears throat> Peter wished well for himself, and so he added, If you wish, I will make three booths here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Kind of funny, but he misunderstood. And to this the Lord made no answer. Nevertheless, Peter received an answer. He was still speaking when to a bright cloud, when, lo, a bright cloud overshadowed them. He wanted three tabernacles, Peter did. The heavenly answer showed him that we have one which human judgment desired to divide, Christ, the Word of God, the Word of God in the law, the Word in the prophets. Why, Peter, do you seek to divide them? Is it not more fitting for you to join them? You seek three, understand that they are one. As the cloud overshadowed them, in a way um, and in a way made one tabernacle for them, a voice from the cloud said, "This is my beloved son." Oh, I can't even I chills at the thought of such a voice. "This is my beloved son." Moses was there, Elijah was there, yet it was not said, "These are my beloved sons, for the only son is one thing." Adopted sons, another. He was singled out, in whom the law and the prophets glorified. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Because you have heard him in the prophets, and you have heard him in the law, and where have you not heard him? When they heard this, they fell to the earth. See then, In the church is exhibited to us the kingdom of God. Here is the Lord. Here the law and the prophets, but the Lord is the Lord. The law in Moses, prophecy in Elias, but they are servants and ministers. They are vessels. He is the fountain. Moses and the prophets spoke and wrote, but when they poured out, they were filled from him. But the Lord stretched out his hand and raised them as they lay, and then they saw no one but Jesus only. What does this mean? When the apostle was read, you heard, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, and tongues shall cease. Listen to this, beloved. We're looking toward the the end time, when the kingdom shall be here in its fullness tongues shall cease. When that which we now hope for and believe shall come, there'll be no hope in heaven because our hope will have been made sight. Our faith will have been made sight. What we hope for will be reality. Um, You are dust, and to dust you shall return. But when the Lord raised them up, he signified the resurrection. And after the resurrection, what is the law to you? What is prophecy? Therefore neither Moses nor Elias is seen. Only he remains for you. He who in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He remains for you, that God may be all in all. Moses will be there but now no more the law. We shall see Elijah there too, but now no more the prophet. For the law and the prophets have only given witness to Christ that it befit him to suffer and to rise again from the dead on the third day and to enter into his glory. That's our lovely St. Augustine. What a magnificent saint he is. And don't forget, beloved, the life that he lived. He was away from Christ. He was away from God. He was away from the church. I think 30 years, Monica, his mother, prayed for him. A life of sinful debauchery. And look that now he's a doctor of the church. Beloved, maybe you were away from the church and God has brought you home. Don't live life as a mediocre Catholic, don't live life as if you're in the world and of it. Be like St. Augustine. Become a saint. Become a saint. Be in the world and not of it. God has saved you not just to keep you from hell and not just to bring you uh, to heaven, but to give you all of life and to make you his witness on the earth. The word martyr is the same word for mit- witness. If we are witnesses, we may well be martyrs in this world, because if you keep track of the news, Christians are being murdered, uh, bombarded. Uh, Nigeria, Africa, many areas, there's genocide going on. Christians are being killed. I don't know what it'll, it'll take in this country, um, but we already have plenty of persecution in this country. And the very least, we have persecution from our families and friends and co-workers who think that we're weird, or we've given up life, or we're not fun anymore, or we're prudes, and we're, oh, don't worry about it, beloved. Again, I've said so many times, uh, the mystery to me is not their unbelief. That'll never be a mystery. There were so many years I didn't believe The mystery to me is that I do believe. That's the mystery. That you believe, that we believe, by God's grace, that we believe, that we love. And we have the message that the whole world needs. And we have an obligation, beloved, to live that message. If our life contradicts what we say, Uh, We make a mockery of God and Christianity, and why should they believe us? Catholicism has made a mockery of itself all over the world. Its dirty laundry is before the whole world. And it's an absolute tragedy. And someone who doesn't believe, why would they even have the... Slightest idea why we're Catholic, why we torture ourselves with all those rules and obedience and all that. Why would we put ourselves under that yoke if it's no different than the world, if it's a man-made religion, but if it's the church God founded, and if we belong to God, then we need to, beloved. Um, And... We could say it's heroic to live as a Christian today, and it might be. But the fact is, we've been given the privilege and the grace to live the truth that the whole, we are um, we are uh, how do I what's the word co-reconciler Scripture says with God. He has chosen us to be his missionaries in the world, and to bring the message of life, the gospel, salvation to the world. The Catholic Church is not a denomination. It is the Church Christ founded. And any other form of Christianity calls itself a denomination. But it is not a denomination of the Catholic Church. There's only one Church our Lord founded, and it's the Catholic Church. And if you seek with all your heart the truth of God, beloved, you will if you're away from the Church, you'll come home again. And if you're not a Catholic Christian, don't stop until you know truly what the Catholic Church teaches. Not misconceptions. Not misconceptions. There was a book called Roman Catholicism by Lorraine Bettner, a man who made up all kinds of stuff. It's a thick book, and it's where all the um, or most of the anti-Catholic rhetoric comes from that Catholics worship Mary, that Catholics worship statues, that they've added to the books of the Bible, that they practice idolatry because they bow before a wafer. My goodness. And you know, he wrote all of that and never substantiated a thing, never gave a reference for what he said. He just said it and published it. And thousands and thousands believe it, which is why Carl Carl Keating the founder of Catholic Answers wrote a book called "I'm Sorry," called Catholicism and Fundamentalism, um, or Fundamental and Catholic, Fundamentalism and Catholicism. I forget the order of that. Published by Ignatius Press, and Carl took that shameful volume titled Roman Catholicism by Lorraine Bettner, irresponsible and shameful. And um, and he answered it in the book uh, Fundamentalism and Catholicism. He answered it um, with references, with scripture. And Carl did his homework. He understands what evangelicals teach and believe. He understands it, and he answered it every one of them. It's one of the best apologetics that's ever been put in writing. Absolutely outstanding. And if you want other sources, read Patrick Madrid's three volumes, Surprised by Truth. Three volumes, Surprised by Truth. Um, Really magnificent. And the first volume helped me into the church. Eleven evangelical pastors who became Catholic. It's truly an apologetic, truly an apologetic for the faith. It's excellent and they were evangelical pastors, so they used nothing but sola scriptura and the Word of God, and they found the Catholic Church. And I'm in it. I'm Catholic after trying to save Catholics for 18 years, and there's no way through all eternity I'll ever, ever, ever be able to give enough thanks to God. I could never have come to believe it on my own, ever, ever. I'm not smart enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not anything enough to see through Catholic eyes. That's grace. That's the grace of God. I had, I will tell you, for those 18 years, um, or at least for 14 of the 18, and then I uh, was sent to another church to head women's ministries, I had what I considered the best solid Fervent, holy, evangelical pastor God has ever given the world. His name is John MacArthur. Many of you know him. I love him. I respect him. I will be forever grateful to God for him. He brought me into uh, Christianity, he brought me to Christ. He taught me um, as he taught the whole congregation of 10,000 people. Just an outstanding expositor of the Word. Outstanding. A true gift for articulation and for teaching. Absolute. took him five years, I think, to go through the Gospel of Matthew line by line, or word by word. Absolutely fantastic. And why I should see further, he believes I've entered Satan's system. He believes that I went out from them because I was never of them. That's what it says in 1 John. How come they left us? They left us, they went out from us, because they were never truly of us. But that's not so. John was witness to my life. He knows how my life changed. He knows that. And, um, And he thinks that I was false all that time, otherwise I couldn't be in the Catholic Church this long. I'm using this as an example of a man that I utterly respect. Um, it's not a secret that John believes all these things. I'm not giving out anything that's confidential. He teaches it. He teaches all of that. And he's spoken about me in those ways. And I understand it. I don't hold anything against him. How could I? It was Scott Hahn who said that the reason midgets are taller than giants is because they stand on their shoulders, John MacArthur, in my mind, is a giant. The fact that I see further is the grace of God. He poured out on this midget such grace to enable me to see further, and I'll never be grateful enough. And I I pray for John that he would see, and everyone else that um, is a Christian, a follower of the Christ that does not have his body and blood, soul, and divinity that does not receive the grace of the sacraments, that does not know Christ as he desires to be known, because the Catholic Church uh, is not Christ plus anything. It's not other than Christ or more than Christ. As St. Augustine said, the Church and Catholicism is the whole Christ, all that God gave us in giving us his Church, all of it. Um. And the the line that really went through me uh, that I've called a holy shock, I had heard from Scott Hahn, um, and he said, for the one who will look into the claims of the Catholic Church, 2,000 years of church history, uh, the church fathers, uh, all of that, he said, to that one will come a holy shock and a glorious amazement to find out that what he had been fighting, me, moi, and trying to save people from was in fact the church Christ established on earth 2,000 years ago. It took me almost five years to find that out, or to understand it, or to believe it. And I, I'm i Catholic. I can't believe that I do this. I never thought I would do that. I thought it was a pagan thing. I'm, I'm just so... John Henry Cardinal Newman, who converted to the Catholic Church, came into the Catholic Church from what he called the Via Media uh, as an Anglican, um, as an Episcopalian, um, an Anglican uh, in England at Oxford. He came into the church and he wrote magnificent books. He wrote his um, uh, Apologia, which was the uh, apology for his, the the reasoned explanation for his having become Catholic. And uh, about um, in the middle of the 1800s, and then he wrote a book that greatly helped me into the church, which was the Essay on the Development of Christian Doctrine. Absolutely wonderful. Where I was taught in in uh, my evangelical Protestantism, my evangelical Christianity, where I was taught the Catholic Church was uh, syncretism. It was it added to the gospel. It was truth plus man made stuff. Um. Um. Uh, Cardinal Newman uh, through that book uh, the essay on the development of Christian doctrine through that book um, taught me that doctrine develops nothing's added The, the, um, the revelation of doctrine ceased with the last apostle there's no new doctrine no new doctrine after the last apostle that's what The Catholic Church has always taught. That's what I learned as an evangelical. Revelation ceased with the last apostle. It is the faith, as Jude says, the faith once delivered to the saints. There's no new revelation, but there's a development of doctrine. And so he showed how a tree grows from an acorn. It's the full, the the blossoming, of the acorn into its branches and he showed and so the seed of the early church into now the tree that covers the whole world and newman showed how you can trace a true development from the acorn into the branches or even the branches back into the acorn um you can trace and understand a true development from a false development uh i came to understand the papacy from that book and uh I I think it took me some time after I finished that book yet to become Catholic. But when Newman wrote it, I rather, uh, um, yes, Newman, Cardinal John Henry Newman, when he wrote that, he wasn't Catholic. He was looking into the church. And he wrote that um, looking into the church. And when he finished the book, he was Catholic. He talked himself into it. (laughs) He became Catholic. And he is the one who said, to um, dig into church history, the church fathers is to ste- cease to be Protestant. To study church history, the church fathers—all of that—is to cease to be Protestant because they—you'll find out—they were Catholic. All the church fathers were Catholic, and the Apostle John taught, uh, Polycarp, and one taught another to another to another. It is the face faith passed down through the ages. It's a wonderful journey, beloved. It's absolutely, absolutely wonderful. And there's no other place. Peter said, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. If you're Catholic, beloved, if you're Catholic, maybe you were raised in a Catholic home and you really don't know what it is to be Catholic except to be a religious family who goes to church on Sunday. Maybe you'd have no idea. And then one day you met on fire evangelical Protestants and they were having Bible studies and, and you never had a Bible study. You, didn't even, you never even read the Bible study. What are these people all excited about their faith? What is this phenomenon? And you, you, uh, you join them and eventually you become an evangelical Protestant and you leave the Catholic Church. I propose to you, beloved, that in a sense you didn't leave the Catholic Church because you never knew what it was you didn't know what it was. It's not simply going to church on Sunday and doing certain Catholic things, Catholic customs. Um, To be Catholic is to be a follower of the Christ, to love him, to follow him, to be in the church he founded with us as his body, he as our head. Um, And it's to be a new creation, a new creature in Christ It is to be an adopted child of God, and it is to be on your way to heaven. And the only way um, to not be on your way to heaven is for you uh, personally to forfeit heaven. It's the only way. God died for you. He died for every one of us, and all we need to do is give our life to him. But we need to give our life to him fully without hesitation through the church he founded the authority he gave on earth we have every single thing this side of heaven pertaining to life and godliness and we are the only ones that can rob ourselves of that God is waiting to embrace you absolutely fully don't wait run to the Savior run to all of life there's our great music call in with anything on your heart toll free 1-877-511-5483 one 877 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com We'll be right back, beloved. Don't go away.
2: Wouldn't you love your donation to the Station of the Cross to be doubled? Many companies participate in gift-matching programs. By getting your donation matched, you'll help Catholic Radio reach a larger audience with the message of God's mercy for the world. Ask your employer today if your charitable gift to the Station of the Cross can be matched. This could double your donation, helping us spread the gospel message to even more people. The Station of the Cross is a lay apostolate and a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Thank you for your support of Catholic Radio, renewing our world through evangelization.
0: days from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern for Sermons for Everyday Living, a program that brings you real sermons from real priests on topics important to you and your faith. Visit the for details. Welcome back, beloved,
1: to Mother Miriam Live. I'm so pleased to be with you. And yes, um, call in with anything on your heart. Does never have to be, uh, it never needs to be what we're speaking about. But, uh, the thing, the matter is what's on your heart. So call in or text toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross. Dot com. We're going to take an email from Angela. Angela says, um, Dear Mother Miriam, I am in awe of your conversion story. There is no question that God called you, and it was truly a miracle that a Jewish woman would become a most holy and devout Catholic nun. <laughs> I know. it's. I love the story. I love the title of uh, the CD, uh, The Making of a Jewish Nun. It's just fun. It's just the things that God does. And she says, I praise and thank God for your vocation. Thank you, Angela. She says, I've been distressed for some time about the practice of Eucharistic ministers. Being one myself along with my husband makes it particularly agonizing when I don't know what the answer is. I have been reading many articles and opinions that claim this was never meant to be a permanent practice. I even had a meeting with my pastor to discuss this thought, his thoughts, and he told me it would be too difficult for the priest alone to pass out communion, but isn't that how it was always done in the past? I'm very interested in your thoughts on this practice and to help me decide if I should resign From being a Eucharistic minister, any help you could give me would be greatly appreciated so I can put my mind to rest on the matter. Thank you for your work. May God bless you abundantly. To begin with, Angela, Eucharistic minister is really shorthand for um, uh, extraordinary extraordinary minister of the Holy Eucharist. That's the title, not Eucharistic minister but an extraordinary minister of the Holy Eucharist. Um, I do not believe that uh, extraordinary ministers of the Holy Eucharist should exist except for the purpose for which they were allowed in the church, and that is for extraordinary purposes, not for six so-called Eucharistic ministers to be assigned every Sunday or even Two to be assigned every Sunday. Absolutely not. No, it's an abuse of the Mass. It is the priest who should give out Holy Communion, only the priest. Now, if the church is too big or very large, there are usually at least two priests to a parish, and it shouldn't be their day off, every priest. So when one priest is celebrating Mass, he and the other priest comes in just for the distribution of Holy Communion. So there's always two priests. If if there's one priest at a parish, then normally there'd be a deacon, and the deacon and the priest can serve Holy Communion. Um, the Latin Mass I go to, we go to on Sundays, uh, there's one priest, and we have the altar rail, and we kneel, and he distributes... Holy Communion to the entire congregation. This is not fast food. We're not in a hurry. Um, no layperson should be giving out the host, distributing Holy Commun- Communion, unless, um, again, it's a very unusual circumstance. So, Angela, I I would absolutely agree with you and your husband resigning from that position. Um, And again, if there's an odd day where the priest cannot give communion to the entire congregation or you have a place of 300 people and it would take forever for one priest to give communion, then again, the second priest should be there or the deacon should be there. Um, No lay people. No lay people. Again, if it has to be... uh, then we call extraordinary ministers, uh, but we don't sign up for the year to become a Eucharistic minister. It's an absolute abuse of the Mass. It's irreverent, and um, it should not happen. We have a a text from Austin, and he says, Good morning, Mother. I am in the process of discerning a vocation, To the priesthood, oh bless you, Austin. And I'm wondering if you think it would be in the best service of the church to enter into the FSSP, which would be the fraternity of the Society of Saint Peter, or become a diocesan priest, or perhaps a different order which celebrates the extraordinary form of the mass to which I feel drawn, to much more than the Novus Ordo. Thank you, Mother, and God bless you. Well. Wherever you go, it'll be of great service to the Church, Austin. I think the important thing is where God is calling you. If you become a diocesan priest, it needs to be under a bishop that wants the traditional Mass and that will allow you to have that. Now, when bishops change... I had the situation here with us in Tulsa. We had a parish that had the extraordinary form of the Mass seven days a week, and when the new bishop came in, he canceled it, and there's one Mass on Sunday, and that's it. So we're forced to find another church, and we cannot go to another church during the week with the extraordinary Mass, so we have to go to the Novus Ordo. So you're subject to that. If you join the FSSP or, or another religious group that celebrates uh, only the extraordinary form, then you will be safe there um, and be able to celebrate it. Uh, the FSSP is is uh, excellent for you to check out. Another um, order would be the um, Christ uh, the Priest Institute of Christ the Priest Sovereign King Institute of Christ the Priest Sovereign King. They're in St. Louis. They're in Chicago. They're all over the country, Green Bay, Wisconsin, and they're all over the world. Institute of Christ the King, Sovereign Priest, they're very, very good, as well as the FSSP. And I would say offhand, those would be the two orders I can think of offhand that will celebrate the extraordinary form uh, that I would recommend you to. We have an email from Roland. who writes hello mother thank you for your show I find it very eye opening I know you are talking about abuses of the liturgy so here are a few questions is signing okay I see several people at mass signing with the priest holding their hands up as the priest does okay Uh, there's the music for our second break beloved so hold on Roland I'll be back with your email uh, right after this uh, break. Uh, call in. It's a wonderful time to call in, beloved, with anything on your heart. Toll free or text one 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome
1: back to Mother Miriam Live, Beloved, and we're right in the middle of an email or at the beginning of an email from Roland, and I'm going to read that email now. Um, Roland says, Hello, Mother, thank you for your show. I find it very eye-opening. I know you are talking about abuses of the liturgy, so here are a few questions. And he has, let's see now, seven of them, but very short. Um, let me read the first. Is signing okay? I see several people at Mass signing, S-I-G-N-I-N-G, with the priest holding their hands up as the priest does. I've never heard the expression signing, Roland, but no, the priest, uh, that Oren's position with the hands, that's for the priest and not for us. Um Number two is giving out announcements during the offertory. okay, no, it is not the The times for announcement would be uh after the mass is completed um uh maybe before the mass begins at all, which is a very difficult time for announcements because not everyone is there, and it also takes our focus away from the mass. Uh, to have announcements before the Mass begins. Pope Benedict had once written that we should have at least 10 minutes of silence before the Mass. There shouldn't even be music pro- played before the Mass. It should be a silent prayer time so that our hearts could be ready for the Mass. And the the only other time um, would be prior to the homily, but not prior to the offertory. The offertory follows the homily, and it's not a time for announcements. Um, but prior to the homily is the way it is done in the Latin Mass. In most cases, when the the priest goes to give the homily, um, he reads the scripture of the day that he's just read in Latin, he'll read it in English, and then he'll give a few announcements, and then he'll go into his homily. Um, that's normally the way it's done, but not during the offertory. Uh, joking during the homily is not appropriate. Clapping is not appropriate. Asking if anyone has a birthday or anniversary and then singing about it is not appropriate. None of this belongs at Mass. We have plenty of times to get together socially, but Mass is not the time. It could be after the Mass, after the Mass has concluded, after the final prayer, when the Mass is no longer um, in process, But that's also very difficult because it should be a quiet time of Thanksgiving. And here's number six, the use of extraordinary ministers regularly. Well, again, if we use them regularly, they're no longer extraordinary. And so we answered that uh, with Angela just before. No, uh, extraordinary ministers should not be used on a regular basis. And then number seven says no altar boys. Well, um, there should be servers if possible, if there 's not there 's not, but there should be servers, and they should be altar boys, not altar girls um, again, the church allows altar girls, so i won 't talk against what the church allows i 'll tell you what 's not appropriate um, and i I do not believe altar girls are appropriate, but I will not say it 's wrong because the church allows it i think it's um, I think it 's very poor uh Because um, that's a place, number one, lay people really don't belong in the sanctuary. They don't belong at the altar. Females don't belong there. Boys are, uh, at any young age, being invited to prepare for the priesthood. And many young boys uh, become priests because of their time as altar boys. They should be trained, they should spend time with the priest, and that's not for girls. Again, the Church allows it, so I won't tell you it's wrong. I can tell you that I wish it were not the case. We have a call from Nancy. Are you there, Nancy, on the line? Yes, Mother. Hi. Hi. Thanks for your call, Nancy. Do you have a question? Mother. Sure.
3: Yes, I'm in desperate need, Mother. I'm so broken hearted and discouraged when my husband and I we got married we were falling away Catholics. we went into the well separately we went to the Protestant church so we got married we've been together 18 years and um, I've returned to the church last year and he has not and blessed be God has, that you
1: return Nancy blessed be God go ahead dear
3: yes <clears throat> I'm so thankful well, my husband is not happy about it, and he's got neurological problems. Um, he's had many concussions, and um, I'm in an abusive relationship as well. He's not hitting me, but he's emotionally, financially, spiritually just bankrupt, and um, I'm just afraid, and I work part-time. I'm not well-schooled and I'm really dependent upon him, and he's not living in a manner just like I'm... We're just one crisis away from... What
1: are you afraid of? You say you're afraid, Nancy. What are you afraid of?
3: of? You know, him telling me one day when my car late engine goes on that he won't fix it, and that he'll say, well, sorry, can't go to work, I guess. Like, it's... I can't financially support myself. I don't make enough money to support myself. And this guy, my husband, is just not, he doesn't want to love me anymore. He doesn't, we don't have that kind of relationship anymore. We're, we're um, roommates. Well,
1: Mentally, you, yes, and I doubt this happened just because you entered the church last year. It sounds like. Oh, of
3: course. Yes, yes.
1: There's been problems oh, yes. for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And and your husband does not work?
3: Uh, he could no longer work. He's does he have in- income coming in? Yes, yes.
1: Okay, so between his income and yours, it's not enough to support you or get your car fixed if it breaks down?
3: Well, the issue is the neurological, like he's not spending like he used to. He's having problems. His short-term memory is... So I've, I've
1: Does to he have sole money. control of the finances? In other words, if your car breaks down, can you not take money that you have from your bank exactly. account? I
3: cannot. And he doesn't want me to have any control. He's like, well, I'd rather be dead because that's, that's his only thing that he doesn't like. Okay,
1: Nancy, you have one. Uh, let me make two suggestions to you. You have, you cannot personally do anything to change or heal your husband, you can't do a thing. You're powerless to do that. Any wife would be powerless. The only thing you can do is be an instrument of God's love to your husband. And the fact that God has brought you back to the church is absolutely huge. He you have one assignment dear wife of your husband of this uh, difficult husband your assignment is to become a holy saint a holy woman of god who loves your husband 24/7 who will treat him with love with kindness with gentleness you will be christ to him all the time you will never complain you will never argue You're going to start to walk with God, and you're going to love your husband, and you're going to see the miracle God does through that. Now, you need to also speak with your priest. Do you go to church on Sunday?
3: I go to church seven days a week. I go to confession regularly. I go to adoration. and say the rosary. I say the divine mercy chaplet. I pray and talk to God.
1: Nancy? All you have to do is to love. If you're doing all of that and you're living a frightened life, something's wrong, sweetheart. Um, You need to speak with your priest and tell him if he doesn't already know the situation with your husband and that your husband... Now, you bring home your salary, right?
3: Uh, Well, I just started my business, so I'm not... I don't have a lot. I'm a dog walker, and so... My money is separate from him. It's to pay for them because I don't have um, my taxes taken out. So I get to put money aside to pay my taxes and get my gas and pay my cell phone.
1: All right. Well, so that you, you do have money, a little bit money coming in. And hopefully that will increase. All right. And uh, just reduce your bills as much as you can. Uh, so talk to the priest and tell him your situation and again that you came back to the church last year you probably the priest probably knows that tell him the difficulty with your husband so that he can pray for your husband and you can say to the priest if the my car ever breaks down and he doesn't fix it because he just doesn't want to spend the money he now he's upset with me because I'm catholic or returned to the church may I come to the church for help he will say yes There are men in the church that could fix your car. The church could help you. Catholic charities can help you. There's plenty of help for you. King David in the Old Testament said, I've never seen the righteous begging bread. Nancy, if you walk with God in trust, uh, he will help you. And he will live through you to change your husband. You can't change your husband, but God can through your love, not through anything else. All right, Nancy, have you heard of the novena that we've mentioned before? Um, it's the it's the surrender novena, the one that uh, was given by our Lord to a priest. It's Jesus you take over no matter what the circumstance. Have you heard of that?
3: Yes, I say, and I'm on uh, Catholic radio um, online. Yes, we, we, we say it.
1: Well, Nancy, I, sweetheart, you need to live those things, not just mechanically say it, not just mechanically say the rosary and all of that. Mother,
3: I need help. I'm so broken myself. I see my own inability of my own heart and heart, and I feel like I can't. I feel so abandoned by this person. Not, I see he can't even love himself. I'm so hurt and abandoned by him. I got it. Him.
1: Nancy, sweetheart, um, you are abandoned by him but you're not abandoned by God. You said you're roommates. You feel like a single person. Um, Nancy, there's the only cure, sweetheart. Now, if you can find a good psychologist to go and speak with so that you could talk these things out, it would be very good. you need someone from Catholic Charities who won't charge you. But um, what you're saying, honey, you have i trust your assessment nancy what you need to do is accept it you need to accept that you have a mentally ill husband you do not have a normal marriage you're not going to get anything out of your husband that you want he's not going to be a proper husband to you he's not going to be even a proper friend to you he's not going to be what he should be you're living in the same house but god has brought you back into the kingdom And you're on your way to heaven. Trust God. Give him thanks. And God has a mission for you now, Nancy, to save your husband. You need to believe God. You need to trust God. And you need to be grateful. Expect nothing from your husband, Nancy. You are a missionary in that house to your husband. You are God's heart to your husband. Expect nothing back from your husband. Think about him being a little handicapped child. You're not going to get any of your needs met through him. Don't depend on him. Know that he lives in the house with you and that God has given you a mission to help him into heaven. Expect nothing from him, Nancy. Learn to walk with God and be grateful for God giving you so much he will never leave or forsake you.
3: Mother, but we live in the flesh. And I need hugs and and I need touch. And I need
1: encouragement. Nancy, sweetheart, I know that, but you're not going to get it from your husband. And as long as you expect it from your husband, uh, you're going you are the one that's going to make yourself a victim and miserable. Um, you need to have a good friend or two uh, that you can talk to. Not a lot of people, but one, two at the most. Um, and Nancy, it's good that you walk dogs. I tell you what, sweetheart, if you can go to Catholic Charities and see if there's any way you can volunteer, I'm, I'm serious now, You maybe you could help children. They need your love, and they will give you more love than your husband will. You need to give yourself away, and that will make you healthy. Nancy, sweetie, I hear you. I know that you feel desperate, but trust that God has a new life and a new mission for you, and he will make you strong. And see if there's someone at Catholic Charities that can meet with you on a regular basis. But if it's at all possible for you to help, even on a volunteer basis, go to a children's home and pour your love out to them, and they will give you more love in return than you could ever get from two husbands. Those are my thoughts, dear Nancy. Um, it's it's the way for you, sweetheart. God will help you. Uh, we'll speak with everyone tomorrow. God bless all of you.